When we talk about the big picture, so we've been uh, taking a book a week and take, taking the big message of that whole book and uh, some longer books like John and Genesis and Exodus, we've been taking uh, two Sunday nights to deal with those books. Uh, we may slow it down a little bit. We don't have any other books to go to. So we may, um, we may hit the pause button a little bit here and, um, and um, take a little bit longer with Revelation. Uh, I know you've all got it all figured out. I know that video cleared everything up for you that you ever wanted to know about the book of Revelation. So we will uh, we'll, we'll slow it down a little bit maybe and uh, I don't know how long we'll spend here um, So don't get worried tonight the video was like the first six or eight verse uh, chapters or so So you know 20 minutes into the sermon I'm still in Revelation chapter 1 Don't get nervous like oh my goodness how long is he going to preach tonight I promise you as always I'll be done by 12 <laughs> but we'll slow down. I'll, I'll, um, I'll just kind of see how far we get tonight, and then uh, we'll see what happens from there. So Revelation chapter 2, verse 29, and let's listen to what uh, is one of the most frequent, probably the most frequent statement that Jesus makes in the Bible. And some people um, wonder, what did Jesus say the most? Well, this, this is the statement that he says the most. Revelation chapter 2, verse 29 is one place where he says it. It says that in a lot of places, some form or another, Whoever, this is the words of Jesus, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Who we listen to is really important. Heard about a young lady named Hannah. Uh, Hannah got a text that was obviously a wrong number. She got a text that read this. Hey, Dr. Park, this is Matt from Vascular Lab. I have a patient here with an external iliac occlusion with cold foot pain and numbness that started three days ago. What should I do with her? So Hannah, who does not work at the hospital, <laughs> receives this text. It's obviously a wrong number. And she texted him back. Hi, this is Hannah. I think you have the wrong number, but I Googled it. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure you need to put a stent in her left radial artery. Best of luck, Matt. Matt texts back. Sorry, wrong number, Hannah. The patient actually did end up getting a stent. Took about three hours longer for trained professionals to come to that conclusion than it did for you. Good job, Hannah. <laughs> and Hannah texted back one last thing and said, you hiring? <laughs> and it's really important who you listen to. And that's important in the news. That's important, especially when you study the book of Revelation or anything else. And so we'll look at the book of Revelation tonight. And what I want us to see at the outset here in the first chapter or two is that John writes the book of Revelation. It's not Revelations. It's the book of Revelation, the book of Revelation, to some churches that were uh, full of hurting Jesus followers. Um, the book is like a group email. Seven churches, and that could be symbolic of, of all churches all time that you find themselves in these different situations. I do believe it was seven historical, literal churches. But the fact that it was seven does kind of lend itself to saying uh, any church of any age can look into this and probably find themselves uh, somewhere amongst these churches as well. And the, the book of Revelation comes from a word that means to reveal. So we're a Greek word apocalypse, and that word really doesn't mean today what it meant back then. We think of apocalypse as something huge happening. The word apocalypse meant a revealing of secrets, revealing something uh, yet unknown. And it's a word from God sent to real people that John really knew that were hurting a lot. Now, John's an old man at this time. He's seen a lot in his life, and what he writes is surrounding the persecution of Christians were not 
positive when he writes that most people, including me, think it's probably around A.D. 95. Now, the significant event in Jewish history that John is kind of writing about and all this kind of comes from is what's called the fall of Jerusalem. Jerusalem was conquered by the Roman general Titus in A.D. 70. It was a horrific event. Some people think that John wrote this just prior to the fall of Jerusalem and that much of the revelation is about Jerusalem's fall, which would mean that we put it under Nero's um, um, persecution. Uh, others, as including myself, think it's probably after the fall of Jerusalem and talking about the persecution of Christians that happened from the, from the emperor uh, Domitian. Now, Paul, John's very clear. He writes this from the Isle of Patmos. Patmos was an island that was like a jail. It was like 10 miles long, 6 miles wide, and people were sent here uh, because of political crimes or other crimes they had committed. John's an old man, and a lot of people sent to the Isle of Patmos were sent there, and they were forced into hard labor. A lot of people died on the Isle of Patmos. A lot of the criminals died there from starvation. They died from attacks from other prisoners. They died from torture, from exposure to the elements. Some say that uh, you had to have people send food to you while, re- while you were on the Isle of Patmos. It was a horrible place for anybody to be, especially uh, somebody like John, who very likely is in his, at least in his 80s by now. He's an aged pastor. Uh, legends, some, some church historians say, and we don't know this is true, but some say that John was actually dipped in a vat of boiling oil. And when that did not kill him, he was exiled uh, to the Isle of Patmos. So while he was here, uh, John, we were, interestingly, what we really want to get tonight is while John is here, exiled, hurting, difficult times, uh, cut off from his friends, cut off from his family, cut off from all the churches he wants to be serving, while he's here in this difficult place, he's focused on Jesus. Everybody say focused on Jesus. He's anchored here. He's anchored in Christ, and his heart is how can I help others anchor themselves to Jesus? He sees hard. There are hard times already for the church. There are harder times coming, and he knows if they don't anchor themselves to Christ, they're in for a world of hurt. And I think that's what the Spirit would say to us today. Look, there's a lot of bad things going on in the world. Christians are being persecuted in a lot of places in the world that is absolutely horrific. Uh, From all things we can see coming down the pike, it's not going to get easier. The Bible says in the last days, difficult times will come. We know uh, from the book of Acts that we're in the last days, have been since Pentecost. And so we can't expect things to get easier and easier and easier. It's interesting. We've lived in an interesting time of Christian history where things have been pretty easy for us as Christians in the United States of America. We're grateful for that. We praise God for that. We um, probably would not do well to expect that to last forever. And so we want to understand that when hard times come, what you focus on, What you anchor yourself to, the lens that you see the world through, is going to color your attitude, it's going to color your actions, it's going to to detail how well you deal with the hard stuff that comes your way. And so here, John is focused on anchoring them, setting their attention on Christ. Chuck Swindoll said, the theme of Revelation 
is Christ's future triumph over the forces of evil and his recreation of the world for the redeemed. Ultimately, the book of the world ended in a final victory for truth, goodness, and beauty. And that's important for believers of Jesus because when you see hard times coming and you hear about atrocious things happening to Christians and you wonder what in the world is going to become of our families in the future, our descendants in the future, our brothers and sisters around the world in North Korea and in Afghanistan and in the Ukraine and places like that, we need to be assured today and understand the hope we have in Jesus that Christ does have the final victory. And that's what the book of Revelation is really about. It's about a book of hope. In the worst of times, there is hope for the faithful in Christ. Christ does win. Now, we know that some of the book of Revelation is about the end of time. It's not, the, the primary focus of the book is not revealing the end of time. The primary focus of the book is revealing Jesus and how Jesus is conquering every evil that comes against him. When you read the book of Revelation, if you look there just in verse 2, he talks about things that must take place shortly. And so not everything in this book is about what's going to happen uh, at the rapture and the great tribulation, millennial, all of that. He's writing to people right here and now saying, this is how you live under difficult times. Now, I said in AD 70, the Roman general Titus conquered Jerusalem. The best we know from, um, there's a historian called Josephus, was a Jewish historian. And what happened for two years from A.D. 68 to A.D. 70, the Romans laid siege to Jerusalem. They cut them off from their food supplies. They cut them off from, from just about the rest of the world. And Josephus said about, about a half a million people starved to death in Jerusalem during this time. People were eating the leather off their shoes because it was so difficult. Blood ran in the streets. There were like 97,000 people were sold as prisoners, which is what Luke 21 talks about when it says not only would the inhabitants of Jerusalem be killed, but they would be led away captive into all nations. The Jews were whipped, they were tortured and crucified. It was a horrible time. And the nation of Israel ceased to exist until uh, 1948. It's an incredible thing the nation of Israel ever came back to be. So Domitian probably is the, um, is the emperor during this time. He had a rule that no Christian, once brought before the tribunal, should be exempted from punishment without renouncing his religion. In other words, if you're arrested as a Christian and you were brought to trial, if you did not renounce your religion, you would be punished. And much like under Nero, under Domitian, uh, anything bad that happened, not anything, but uh, oftentimes bad things that happened, blamed on the Christians. Earthquakes, Christians' fault. Because what? They worshipped a foreign god. Domitian wanted to be recognized as God. He was the emperor. He, he, there was emperor worship in the kingdom. And so because the Christians were worshiping Jesus as king, they wouldn't say that Caesar is Lord or Domitian is Lord or the emperor is Lord. They said, no, Jesus is Lord. And because of that confession, many were put to death. Many were tortured. Some were crucified. And that's the kind of people that John is writing to in the middle of this and in some of these churches we look at the churches in chapter 2 probably get to most of those next week what we see is that Jesus has a word of encouragement for the faithful and a word of rebuke for those who weren't faithful 
Because as you can imagine, if you've got a political climate when earthquakes and natural disasters and things like that can be blamed on you and you be brought to trial, and if you don't renounce your faith in Christ, you can be imprisoned, you can be put to death, you can be tortured, all these kind of things. Some people are going to bail, right? The nominal Christian, and I say use the word Christian loosely, the person who's a Christian in name only, the person who proclaims to be a follower of Jesus because their parents were or because they thought it was a good idea or because they grew up in the church and not because they had a heart changed by Christ, not because they had a genuine conversion experience with Jesus. They're going to bail and that's what John is concerned about. His heart is broken over people who are hurting and are being and tempted to fall away. And so you and I can look at Revelation tonight and say, hey, this is written to me. No matter when Jesus comes back, this is written to me, to people who feel hurt, people who are suffering, people who feel overwhelmed, people who feel confused, people who are tempted to, to feel betrayed, people who are tempted to, to back away, who are sad, who are anxious, who are struggling with their faith, who are living in broken revelations, revelation, the book of broken relationships. Revelation promises a world where pain and tears and death will one day cease to exist. Isn't that good news? That's what he's promising to us. And for us, he's saying these momentary trials, these momentary difficulties, these hard times that may last for a lifetime will not last for eternity. They're, they're just a moment compared to all of eternity. And so we want to hear what the Spirit says to us tonight. Let's look in chapter 1, number 1. We're going to talk about the majesty of Jesus. It's a revelation of Jesus, right? So let's look at number one, the majesty of Jesus. It's hard. I mean, it's easy when you look at our world today. You get fixated on politics and you get fixated on inflation and get fixated on your favorite football team or basketball team or whatever, fixated on your kids or fixated on your retirement or fixated on the stock market or whatever it is. It's easy to get fixated on the news and social media and all that kind of stuff. And John says, man, above anything and everything else, you need to anchor and fixate your heart and mind on Christ. Revelation 1, 1. Look at how he starts it off here. He says, the revelation of Jesus Christ. And remember, John's on the Isle of Patmos. He's an old guy. People are, are killed here by other convicts. People starve to death here. And John's heart is on the Lord. John's heart is on people who are not faithfully serving Christ. And his heart is burdened for people who are faithfully serving Christ. And, um, and they may they may be being killed around the world. So any Christian, any, not, John's a pastor, but any Christian ought to be heartbroken over people who give in to the temptations of this world. We ought to be heartbroken over anybody that backs off of their obedience to Christ, over anybody that allows Satan to get a foothold in their life. And so what the Spirit does in Revelation chapter 1 is say, hey, let's focus back on Jesus again, not just church, not just what feels good, not just Bible study, even as good as that is, not just having a quiet time as good as that is, not what just makes sense as good as that is, not what just gets you through the day as good as that is, but he says, let's focus on the majesty and beauty of Christ. And I can just imagine 
you know, we say the will of God's the safest place to be, and it is spiritually and eternally. What kind of protection does John have on the Isle of Patmos? Some convict going to take his food away from him? He's an old pastor. Somebody going to threaten to beat him up? What's he going to say? Back up, boy. I'm going to preach a really long sermon if you don't back up. (laughs) What's he got here? And so John is, I want you to see what happens. In this kind of danger, in this kind of uncertainty, in this kind of, I wonder what's going to happen tomorrow. John doesn't know if he's going to live the next day or not. Revelation chapter 1, verse 10 is a huge verse for us. Look at what it says. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. It's a powerful word right there. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. The Lord's day is Sunday. It's the day the early church started worshiping on. The Jews worshiped on Saturday. Saturday is the Sabbath day. The early church started worshiping on Sunday, the resurrection day, the day Jesus rose from the dead. And that's the Lord's day. So on Sunday, John was... In the spirit, in other words, what? Surrendered to God, listening for the voice of God, worshiping God. And it's a great question. I thought of this as I was studying this this week. Can I honestly say I'm in the spirit on the Lord's day? And, of course, we really can say any day this is the day the Lord's made, right? Are we walking in the Spirit, even when it's hard, even when I'm threatened, even when I'm concerned about how things are going to turn out? Because that's where I get worried. That's where my anxiety comes from is I want it to work out a certain way, and I can't make it. I can't build a bubble around my wife and kids and ensure they're going to be safe and ensure they're going to make wise decisions and ensure they're going to always follow Jesus. I want to. And the older they get, the harder that gets right and so it's so you, you can't it's all i got where, where my anxiety tends to come at and where those bad thoughts at three o'clock in the morning tend to come from is will the medical test work out right will the things go the way i want them to go and the answer truthfully is going to be sometimes yes and sometimes no but am i willing to listen to what the lord says am i willing to be in the spirit of the lord's day Reminds me of what Tony Evans said. People talk about, you know, I can worship God anywhere. And this guy told Tony Evans, said, man, I, I can worship, you know, Sunday. I don't go to church on Sunday. I golf, but I can, I can worship God on the golf course. And Tony Evans said, I think what you're doing is worshiping golf on God's course. <laughs> uh, we need to be in the spirit on the Lord's day, being with the Lord's folks, with God's people, worshiping him. And John hears a voice. Praise God that we can hear the Holy Spirit still. Praise God that he's still speaking to us. Praise God that Revelation 2, the thing that that Jesus says the most, is he that has ears. And what he means by that is he that has a humble, teachable spirit. He that's willing to say, Not my will, but your will be done. He that's willing to say, God, you're right and I'm wrong. And where you show me in particular, we all know that, right? But God has to show us the specifics of that. Where you show me the specifics of that, I will adjust my life to you. Now, I want to read Revelation 1, 12 through 18. And this is one of those passages of Scripture. It's very difficult to preach because it's it's like John 3, 16. It's so beautiful and majestic it's just hard to put into words but I want you to 
just sort of let this wash over you. Let this affect you. Put yourself in John's shoes a little bit tonight and see if you can kind of imagine what's happening here. I turned around to see the voice. This is John. This is, and he's taught. Now, remember, he was one of Jesus' best friends. Inner circle of three. The Lord's Supper, uh, the Bible says that John leaned on Jesus' breast at supper. I mean, he's leaning up against him. I mean, that's, that's about as close as two dudes get, right? I mean, that's close, right? And so this is somebody that John knows well. He saw Jesus after he was resurrected from the grave. Watch what happens here, though. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. When I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstand was someone like a son of man. That's an Old Testament um, messianic title, title. Dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow. And his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. And coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and now look, I am alive forever and ever and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Now the seven lampstands, we were told in verse 20, are the seven churches. And Jesus was in the midst of of the seven churches. And here's what I want to encourage you with tonight. Jesus is right in the middle of his church. Now, he lives in your heart. He's with you everywhere you go. But I believe there's something special about when the church assembles together and Christ walks amongst us. I have a guy I listen to who preaches sometimes, and he typically prays before he preaches. I listen to this podcast of him preaching. And one of the things he says, it's so beautiful to me, he almost always would say, Lord, as we worship, may we hear the soft sound of sandaled feet. Don't you love that? Hear the soft sound of sandaled feet. No matter what the church is going through, no matter if it's confusion, no matter if it's suffering, no matter if it's hurt, no matter if it's rejoicing, if it's revival, whatever it is, the thing the church has, nobody, no other organization has, is that Jesus himself walks in the middle of the church. May we experience him as he does. May we listen for that soft sound of sandaled feet. Now, it was more than just that for John, though. John says he looked at one, had a, had a long robe with a golden sash, probably representative of the high priest, the one who ministers before God, offers the sacrifice before God for the people. That's probably what that's talking about. And then he said he had hair that was white like unto wool. And all the gray-headed people of the congregation said, Amen. Amen. <laughs> Now, what's he talking about? It, it, it didn't say it was wool. He said it was like wool. And the, uh, the white hair probably represents at least uh, two things. One is holiness. He's white like snow. He was absolutely nothing at fault in Jesus. He was crucified, but of no reason of his own. He was absolutely sinless, absolutely spotless, which means in the midst of hard times, suffering, trouble, whatever we go through, he's the one we can trust while he never leads us astray. 
It also is talking about wisdom. In the book of Proverbs, the gray hair, the white hair, always is a symbol of wisdom, a symbol of wisdom. Now, it doesn't always mean that in our day. Hopefully, it should mean that in our day. But that's the idea. His hair was white like wool. Holiness, purity, wisdom, and perfection of the sinless Lord. Then he says, he had eyes like blazing fire. That means there is nothing can be hidden in the gaze of our Lord. The one person that's very foolish to play games with is Jesus. People do it. I've done it. You've done it. We try to play games with the Lord when we pray. Sometimes we confess sins where we really won't repent of. Sometimes we say we're fully surrendered to Christ, but we really don't. Sometimes we have secret sins that we don't want Jesus to convict us of. Sometimes we put things, attitudes, actions, things away that we hope nobody ever discovers. But how many of you know God sees all of them? That's what this is talking about. God sees into the very depths of our being. You know, I don't want, I'm so glad social media wasn't around when I was in high school. <laughs> um, boy, wouldn't you, wouldn't you just hate for that bad weekend, <laughs> that bad party, that bad time you went to the beach or whatever. Aren't you glad that's not on Facebook for your kids to see? But Jesus sees it all. Nothing hidden. From the gaze of the one who sees deep. So he sees the deepness of our sin. He sees the depth of our hurt. He sees the depth of our loneliness. He sees the depth of our heartaches. He sees the very, the very, I mean, what it means is he gets us. Abandoned, lonely, whatever it is, he sees the very depths of your being. And then it says he had feet like bronze glowing in a furnace. And in the Old Testament, it's so much of the book of Revelation is anchored in the Old Testament. Bronze is a symbol of judgment in the Old Testament. So he had feet uh, like bronze. So I believe this is a picture of the glory of the resurrected Lord standing in victory over his enemies, standing in stability, standing in purity, standing in strength. Nobody can knock Jesus off his game. Amen. So he's got feet like bronze, the voice like the sound of rushing or many waters. In other words, when God speaks, it would do well to pay attention. And one day when God speaks, everybody will pay attention. The sound of many waters. I mean, imagine the, the, the idea is there's a storm coming, the hurricane's coming, the, the ocean waves are breaking against the, against, the, against, the, against the beach, and you can hear the crash and the breakers and the sound. That it almost drowns out every other sound. That's how it is when Jesus wants to speak that way. It is a, what it means is a voice of power and authority. And out of his mouth went a sharp, two-edged sword. Same thing. He reveals the depths of who we really, really are. And then look in Revelation 1.16. And he had in his right hand the seven stars. And out of his mouth went a sharp, two-edged sword. And his countenance was as the sun shineth in the strength. The sword here, there were two words for sword in the Old Testament, in the New Testament. One was a short, dagger-like sword. Uh, the other one was a long sword that you would use in warfare. This is the long sword. 
It's not a little sharp, it's a long sword. And so the word goes out like a sharp sword. Why? To judge the intentions of our heart, to judge where our heart really is. His word is the standard by which we will be judged by. And the point of all of this is that Jesus exceeds anything or anybody we can possibly imagine. And the beauty of this, the beauty of this is this glorious God of judgment. This glorious God, it is absolutely sinless. It's for us. I mean, the idea, if you look at that, John says he falls as a dead person. This is one of his best friends. I heard about a pastor said he had a guy came up to him one time, told him, he said, you know, pastor, um, a lot of mornings when I'm shaving in the mirror, uh, uh, Jesus appears in the mirror next to me. And the pastor said, and you keep shaving? I think there's something else going on other than the risen, resurrected Lord. The person who knew Jesus about as well as anybody passed. I mean, I do wonder what it's going to be like when we see Jesus. You know, people talk about dancing, shouting hallelujah and all that kind of stuff. We may be terrified, but aren't you glad Jesus doesn't leave us there? Look, if you will, in Revelation chapter 1, verse 18. I am he that liveth and was dead. Behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of hell and death. Skip down to verse 17 and 18. When I saw him, I fell to the seat as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. And now look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and death. Hades. It'd be kind of like you're standing in the forest and there's a 40-foot wall of fire traveling towards you at 50 miles an hour. You're surrounded. There's no way of escape. There's no way to get out. And at the last minute, the helicopter flies in, the bucket's left down, some Navy SEAL kind of a guy grabs you up and pulls you out of there. When you get out, Your first words are not, how much was my electric bill last month? Your first words are not, who won the election? Your first word is what? Thank you. Thank you. And aren't we glad that the one who holds the keys to death and Hades is the one who died for your sins and for mine? What John is anchoring us to is the most glorious being ever, far more majestic than we can ever comprehend, died and rose again that we could have life everlasting. And he will win. He will bring this thing to the completion. And so what we want to do tonight is to fix our eyes on Jesus. How do you do that? How do you do that? I wish I knew. I I really wish I knew how to tell you to do that. As I thought about it, the things I thought about is, of course, when we look into his word, we try to put ourselves in that scripture and imagine ourselves being a part of that. But also in the world that we live, when you see a mom cradling a newborn baby and the love of that mom flowing to that baby, you can say, my father in heaven loves me so much more than that. When you hear the thunder, thunderstorm, you can say, my father's voice is so much more powerful 
than that. When you see the, the stars and the, man, so we had some tremendous moons last month. Hey, one of them, one night I walked out, the moon looked like it took up half the sky almost, you know. You can look at that and say, my father is so, he's the one that spoke that, hung that in the being with just the word of his mouth. You can see the mountains and think about the greatness and the glory of God. You think about the sunset, you see it, and you think about the artist that painted that. You let all of creation, what? Take you, take you to the vision of who Christ is. Natalie Grant wrote a song called Who Else? <laughs> who Else? In her song, Who Else? She says, who else can take a tragedy and turn it into victory? Who else? Who else? Who is like you, God? You take the worst that life can bring and use it all for your glory. Who else? Who else? You never fail. You never will. You're working together everything for my good. You never fail. You never will. You're bringing turnaround just like you said you would. No one else is like our God. I was listening to a podcast the other day, and it was, uh, I think it's from the Voice of the Martyrs. They were talking about a, a pastor in the church. had 11 people in his church, 11 people. Um, the, uh, the people against Christianity, they're not sure exactly what branch it was in this particular country, uh, broke into the church. And they put a gun to the pastor's head, and they threatened to kill everybody unless they renounced their faith in Christ. I hope that never happens here. <laughs> put a gun to the pastor's head. I'm going to kill y'all if you don't renounce Christ. And with a gun to his head, the pastor said, be at peace. We will soon be with Jesus. See, that's confidence in the majesty, the greatness, and the glory and the final victory of our Lord. And when they opened their eyes, the gunmen laid their guns down and walked out. I didn't lay them down, but they put them down and walked out. Now, sometimes they shoot people, right? It doesn't always happen that way. But the book of Revelation tells us in the worst time we can say, be at peace. Jesus would you stand, please, with heads bowed and eyes closed? With heads bowed and eyes closed tonight as we looked into Revelation chapter 1, revealing the majesty, the glory, the wonder of the one we serve. Uh, it's good to think of Jesus in all different kinds of ways, walking on water, healing the man at the pool of Bethesda, uh, calling Lazarus forth from the grave. The boy today, he is... In glory and he is greater and more grander and more glorious than we could ever imagine and we need to keep our attention on him to turn our eyes upon Jesus and ask the Holy Spirit to help us see him as he really is father I pray tonight this would encourage your people I pray to encourage me I pray to encourage everyone here tonight thank you that you're in the midst of your church Thank you that you never abandon us and you never walk out. You never give up on us. Thank you, Lord. And I pray tonight that we would hear the voice of the Holy Spirit as he reminds us of how great Christ is. I would ask you as Lisa plays just to pray. Talk to the Lord.